Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Does anybody here, probably people in their late 40s and 50s like me, remember the old No Fear line of clothing products? It was a big thing, oh, probably back when I was in college. Everybody had No Fear t-shirts, No Fear backpacks, No Fear headphones, No Fear skateboards. Apparently the company is still around, but uh, the product line has shrunk considerably. And you really don't see people wearing them anymore, at least I don't. Not as ubiquitous as they were when I was back in university. Probably because we have become a culture that is absolutely absorbed by fear and would look sort of silly walking around with a t-shirt that said, no fear, on it. We have entire segments of our media that are designed to thrive and prosper on fear. I was reading online on Psychology Today an article from just a little while ago that said, the success of fear-based news relies on presenting dramatic anecdotes in place of scientific evidence, promoting isolated events as trends, depicting categories of people as dangerous, and replacing optimism with fatalistic thinking. News conglomerates who want to achieve this use media logic by tweaking the rhythm, grammar, and presentation format of news stories to elicit the greatest fear. Did you know that some news stations work with consultants who offer fear-based topics that are pre-scripted, outlined with point-of-view shots, and have experts at the ready? This practice is known as stunting, or, I like this, just-add-water reporting. Often these practices present misleading information and promote anxiety in the viewer. Fear. And when you have YouTube and TikTok and television channels and websites that are all designed to keep you afraid, is it any wonder that nobody wants to go and buy anything from the No Fear website anymore? Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told Jesus about her. Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. So the beginning of our gospel reading for today. Now, a fever is not that big a deal in our day. You take some Tylenol, you sleep it off. A fever, 2,000 years ago, could very well be a death sentence. Usually a fever is brought on by what? An infection. An infection caused by bacteria or caused by viruses. We know all the mechanisms now by which fevers are brought about. And we know how to treat them because we have antibiotics and we have antivirals. But in the time of Jesus, you got a fever, you were quite likely, especially if you were older or very young, going to die. There were no vaccines. There were no treatments. They didn't even know about germ theory. So the idea of washing your hands to keep them clean hadn't yet arisen. Fortunately for the Jews, at least, they had all sorts of commands to keep clean and wash from the law of Moses. But even so, we should ask, though, this question. While it is fantastic and wonderful and good that Jesus has healed the fever of Peter's mother-in-law, what does that do for us? What does it do for us here and now in the 21st century in Montreal? 
What do any of the healings or exorcisms matter for us? Now, you might say, well, Pastor, you just talked about prayer. and We know about the power of prayer, that prayer can often lead to people's bodies healing themselves, can lead to relief even of the mind. And we'll see why in a minute. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about that. But the reality is that Jesus' healings and the healings of the apostles were of a completely different quality than that. When Jesus walked in on somebody who had cancer and said, cancer be gone, it was gone. When Jesus went into somebody who was possessed by a demon and he says, come out of him, like last week in our gospel reading, it came out. There was not a prolonged month-long exorcism. The demons simply obeyed and illness responded to his commands as well. Everything was, to quote Mark, immediate. Jesus reaches out his hand and the fever leaves the woman. The paralyzed man is told to get up and walk, and immediately he does. The demon is told to come out, and it comes out. But that doesn't really happen anymore. The immediate healings. I wish it could. There's nothing pastors want more than to be able to walk into a hospital room and say, be healed, and have that person hooked up to all of the ICU monitors suddenly rip them all out of their arm and say, I'm better now, I can go home, and you do a scan, and the cancer is all gone, and the heart valve has been fixed, and the person with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder is immediately made well, and the demons are cast out. But it doesn't happen. So what did Jesus hope to accomplish by these healings, by these exorcisms? The answer actually comes in our gospel reading for today at the very end. The disciples come to find Jesus, who is left quietly in the dark to go out and pray. They figure it's another day of healing. There's a big lineup of people that need to see him. There are people that need to have hands laid on them. But they come to Jesus, and Jesus surprises them by saying, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Now, some of our older translations say that is why I came. But I think there is an importance here to the fact it's a different verb. It means came, come out. I've done all the healings and exorcisms I needed to do in this town, and now it is time to go on, not to the next town that needs healings and exorcisms, but so that they can hear the gospel. It's why I left the village, Jesus says. It's why I stopped the healings. If all I do is heal everyone, Jesus is implying, I will not have accomplished my mission. Well, what is his mission? You heard it a few weeks ago. First, on the lips of John the Baptist, and then on the lips of our Lord himself. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The good news. And what is the good news? That Jesus has come to end humanity's greatest fears. To put them to an end. These fears that consume us and absorb us. He has come to crush them underfoot and say, come out of them and be gone. What are our greatest fears? Being alone and dying. Death itself 
And usually those two go together. What is our biggest, biggest fear? Dying alone. The two go together. We live in a world that wants us, you see, to wallow in fear, to be consumed with anxiety, to believe not in what Jesus preaches, the good news that Jesus has delivered us from fear, but to rather be consumed with the fear and anxiety that lives here and here and actually makes us even physically sick. Now, sometimes they're small fears. What if I fail my test? What if my friends don't like me anymore? What if I lose my income? Then there are the medium-sized fears. What if Montreal's hit by an earthquake? What if my houses collapse in my neighborhood? What if we elect the wrong person? And then, of course, the large fears, because we also like those too, don't we? Zombie apocalypse. People are going around in the city eating everyone's brains. Societal collapse. Remember nuclear shelters? I remember as a kid, and some of you probably do too, trying to build a nuclear fallout shelter in my backyard. I think it was probably tied to the showing of that great fear movie of all time, The Day After. I was just listening to a podcast with the daughter of the one who produced that movie for ABC. For those of you too young to remember, this was a huge showing, something like a quarter, half the United States watched it. And it was about a town in Kansas on the outskirts of a nuclear strike and everything that happened in the fallout, literally, of that exchange of nuclear weapons. Big fears, small fears, medium fears, it doesn't matter. Jesus has come to put an end to all of them. And to do that, he has to give some signs to prove that he has really done away with our greatest fear, which is that God doesn't exist and therefore our death is going to be the end. And so how does he do that? Healings, exorcisms, the fever left her. And what did Peter's mother-in-law immediately begin to do? To serve them. Literally, she deaconessed them. That's where that word comes from. She ministered to them. She was able to no longer think about herself and worry about her place in the world and whether there was a God that cared about her and whether her death was going to be the end. All of that weight was lifted off her shoulders. And in that moment, she could look at the ones around her and say, let me serve you. Let me minister to you. Let me look after you. If the Lord was on her side, what was there left to fear? Fear, you see, turns us in on ourselves, makes us think about me, because I'm worried about what's going to happen to me and my anxiety. And if I help somebody else, then I might not be able to help myself. And if I don't look after myself, then nobody's going to look after myself, and the earth is going to end, and nobody cares. When you are consumed with that mindset, you are in no position to minister to anyone or to serve anybody because you're worried, you're anxious, and you're afraid. So Jesus' mission has come to preach the good news, that there is nothing left to fear. Satan has been crushed underfoot. Your sin has been done away with. You have a clear conscience before God. And just as Jesus died on the cross and rose again after three days, so too will you rise again from the dead. And just 
as creation seems to be falling apart, God promises new heavens and a new earth. If all of that is true, if everything God has said about what he intends to do is the reality, what is there left to fear? And that, by the way, as I promised to talk about for a moment, is the power of prayer. I have two doctors in Cleveland that have asked me to speak to their confirmation class. One of them uh, is a heart specialist with the Cleveland Clinic. Um, they're both Lutherans. And he's, he and his wife said, you know, we are going to talk to them about things like, for example, the power of prayer. This is because we have seen it happen. Now, what does prayer do in our lives? relieves us of fear. It turns us to God. It reminds us of the one who has cared about us to the point that his son was willing to die, who cares about us enough that he's willing to send his Holy Spirit into our unholy spirits, that we might become a new creation. And when we pray, we heal our minds and our souls because we turn out to God and that impacts our bodies. Even secular scientists know this, that the body that is not anxious and the body that is not feared, afraid, is much more likely to heal itself than the one that is consumed with worry. Franklin Roosevelt, president, famously said, there is nothing to fear but fear itself. It's almost like he was reading Jesus' mind. There is indeed in Christ nothing left to fear. Amen. May the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ guard and keep you always in the one true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.